0: Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months' access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. I want to reflect with you now in this final uh, talk of the retreat about seven great Prayers linked together, which are called the great O antiphons. They're called the great O antiphons because they all begin O and they all have the word they were originally composed in Latin, O Veni, O come, and they are all in their different ways calling on Christ to come. But instead of just saying one little pious line, to my friend Jesus, oh Jesus, come uh, the anonymous composer of these um, poetic antiphons, which we think date probably to the beginning of the the seventh century, perhaps the late sixth century, so they were written um a d clearly but in a in a kind of extraordinary combination of genius and humility, the composer of these antiphon uh, prayers uh the great O's, writes them if I can put it like this, although he's living. You know, 700 or 800 um, AD, uh, they are composed, as it were, imaginatively BC. It is as though, for a moment, this person, who I'm sure in many respects was a deeply assured Christian, said to themselves, If I didn't know his name, supposing I were among those people of whom Isaiah speaks, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. If I didn't yet know the name of my saviour, but I knew I needed one. Who would I be asking for? What would I be asking for? What could I possibly call him who do not yet know his name? And then come these great, as it were, mystical, anticipatory, yearning titles of Christ. And he's poured over the pages of the Old Testament and seen those glimmerings of the light which was to come, seen that there was wisdom, that there was a great underpinning, beautiful order for everything, the sort of thing that R.S. Thomas's um, uh, Other Incarnations, of course, writes about. And 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 this this great tradition of wisdom of Sophia Sapientia, as she was called in Latin, um, there are particularly moments in 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 um, Ecclesiasticus and and in the Psalms and uh, which speak of speak of her in the feminine. This underlying wisdom, and he says, that's what I really want. But I don't want wisdom in the abstract or wisdom as unattainable. I want wisdom to come, and I want wisdom to come now and make a difference to me. Oh Sapientia, come gives the title of wisdom and so on through these antiphons. What I need is a key, a key to unlock what's locked and fastened in my heart, a key to close those paths to misery that I've taken too often. Oh, Clavis, come. What I need is a root. O Radix, come. Heaven knows in this darkness what I need is light. O Oriens, come. And six poems call for what we need without yet daring to name a name that could gather all those needs together in one and then only in the seventh and final antiphon do we get a name that we know and the seventh antiphon says oh emmanuel come now i know in whom all these other things the root the key the king the holy flame are gathered and he's called emmanuel and emmanuel means god with us and that is the real coming i want because god knows i'm feeling alone and isolated i need him to come and be with me some of us may be judging up the restrictions or the opening of restrictions around this christmas and looking to the advent of children or grandchildren or for abstaining from the advent of children or grandchildren because we don't want to share a disease but we certainly feel that yearning for a coming and it's vital that in the midst of that yearning for these postponed human coming, these advents that whose advent seems to be constantly postponed and the advent of the release from this virus that we do know that there has been an advent and that we can be rooted deeply in it. And I've certainly found that the the church seasons, all of them, but I I think I'm going to find particularly the season of advent speaks deeply into the season of history through which we're passing. So it was a great act of, as it were, almost abstinence uh, not to name Jesus in most of these prayers. And, you know, I think that imaginative act, what is it I'm really looking for in Christ? What is it indeed that I have found in Christ? Could I name those things for a moment without naming his name? It really is because he roots me. It really is because he's a key to unlock things. It really is because he's a light and a cornerstone now i think that you know that actually might give us a deep connection with our non-christian neighbors with neighbors who might be searching with those who might be amongst those Schleiermacher called the cultivated despisers of religion we might have in common a yearning they might not yet be ready to name the name and if we jump right in and start talking every moment we have a pint with a friend about jesus we might actually put them off but if we listened to their as it were, BC pre Christian Advent yearnings, and really took each of the things they longed for seriously. Then, as it were, when we come to the seventh antiphon, we might be in a position with them in a deep yearning that we share to name the name. So I think there's great wisdom to be found in all of these advent antiphons. And what I'm going to do now for you is I'm going to read the the antiphon prayer. I should mention, I've mentioned why they were called O, I should mention why they're called antiphons. Antiphons, as you know, are sung antiphonally on either side of a canticle. And the tradition was that in the days leading up to Christmas or in fact, leading up to Christmas Eve on either side of the Magnificat, which is, of course, the great revolutionary hymn of the (laughs) the coming indeed, my soul doth magnify the Lord, that on either side of Mary's great song, these antiphons were sung. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the, the antiphon prayer, the ancient antiphon prayer, draw out one or two small things from the prayer itself and then read you the poem in which I, I tried to make that prayer both my own, but also make it a contemporary prayer for all of us in our own particular situation. So the first of those antiphons is O Sapientia, O Wisdom. And in English, it is like this. It goes, O Wisdom, coming forth from the mouth of the Most High, reaching from one end to the other, mightily and sweetly ordering all things. Come, Haney, come and teach us the way of prudence. Now, I love that. All things, I love the inclusiveness of the all things, mightily and sweetly ordering all things, not just the tidy things in my particular religious dispensation, not the things that uh, you know, I can safely label with familiarity, but everything, every last atom in the cosmos. And in my my response to this, to this beautiful idea that underneath everything is a sweet ordering, a personal choice, as it were, an ordering of God, uh, owes a lot both to the wonderful hymn to Christ in Colossians, that in him all things hold together, but also I must confess to uh one of my masters, the priest poet R.S. Thomas, and that very poem, which carries so beautifully expounded to us, uh, the the other incarnations, of course, poem, and you'll see that at the very end of my poem. So here is my poem, O Sapientia. I cannot think unless I have been thought, nor can I speak unless I have been spoken. I cannot teach except as I am taught or break the bread, except as I am broken. O mind behind the mind through which I seek, O light within the light by which I see, O word beneath the words with which I speak, O founding unfound wisdom finding me, O sounding song whose depth is sounding me, O memory of time reminding me, my ground of being always grounding me my maker's bounding line defining me come hidden wisdom come with all you bring come to me now disguised as everything so you'll perhaps see the debt to uh, to rs thomas there um so that's a kind of founding and underpinning and undergirding antiphon, out of which, in a sense, all the particularities of the other antiphons spring. And it's from, from that universal to, in one sense, the particular, perhaps the scandalously particular, that we next move. In the next um, antiphon in the sequence was O Adonai, which, of course, as you know, is, is the, um, the Hebrew term for Lord, O Lord. But it has a a particular um, sort of role in the Hebrew Bible because you may know, of course, that, that the real name, the true name, the name that God disclosed to Moses out of the burning bush, the sacred name, the name which was so holy that it couldn't be pronounced, which we believe now may have been pronounced Yahweh and we feel able to say that, the name that simply means I am who I am, I will be who I will be my very I amness, the deep, conscious personhood behind all appearances, I am, disclosed to Moses. Because that was not to be said, it was written down in four letters. They came to be known as the Tetragrammaton. And the the scribes, the pious scribes who copied out the scripture, would write above it, Adonai, so that uh, you would remember when you read it, not to say the word, but to say the Lord. And uh, this antiphon, prayer takes that up in the most beautiful way and alludes to that burning bush story so the antiphon goes "O adonai and leader of the house of israel who appeared to moses in the fire of the burning bush and gave him the law on sinai come and redeem us with an outstretched arm alluding of course to the great rescue of the people out of slavery uh, in Egypt to freedom in the promised land, which early Christians saw as a type of the redemption that Christ, the new Moses, would bring, that he would bring us out of the slavery of sin and death and and uh, and take us, as it were, in the Red Sea of baptism out and bring us to the promised land. Uh, so uh, I mentioned a kind of scandalous particularity. For some people, the idea that the same logos, the same wisdom, the same coherence behind all things could have actually spoken to real people at a particular moment seems absurd. And I can remember when I was a student, somebody tried to mock my faith, saying to me, you've just fallen for a tribal God. And when I finally wrote this poem, I felt finally years and years later that I could reply to that taunt and see that God's scandalous willingness to expose himself to the bloody theatre of our history even if it means he's mistaken and misused, is part of his love for us. So here's my poem, O Adonai. Unsayable, you chose to speak one tongue. Unseeable, you gave yourself away. The Adonai, the tetragrammaton grew by a wayside in the light of day. O you who dared to be a tribal god, to own a language, people and a place, who chose to be exploited and betrayed, if so, you might be met with face to face, come to us here, who would not find you there, who chose to know the skin and not the pith, who heard no more than thunder in the air, who marked the mere events and not the myth. Touch the bare branches of our unbelief and blaze again like fire in every leaf. I love the idea of the burning bush, that it's still as deeply rooted as ever it was, and it's all—it's still bushy in all its bushitude, and yet it's radiant with the splendour of God. And um, of course, it's a type of the incarnation that God in Christ is fully human. There's as utterly and completely human as any of us. His divinity doesn't burn away or disparate his his humanity. And yet his divinity shines out. And um, I also like the burning bush because it's a bush. I just like the idea that the holy came out of this rooted thing. So I think it's a wonderful thing that directly after ode O adonai which re- references the burning bush comes the the next antiphon Oradix, radix a root now in the uh the kind of root that's being alluded to probably by the composer of the prayer O radix jessiah root of jesse is looking back to the wonderful stories that out of jesse eventually sprang the line of david and and um and therefore um The house of david and jesus christ is the son of david so there's a sense of roots as family tree and i obviously honor and respect the biblical scholarship that shows that but responding to it personally in our dislocated uprooted age i actually wanted to get another sense of what it might be to call christ a radix a root i wanted in a sense to get the word radical Back, Because of course radic- radical as a word goes back to the word root. It's about dealing with things at their very root and sill and not just tampering about with trimming the branches. And my poem became a prayer that we might once again be deeply rooted. I've been thinking ironically about this poem in, in the course of this this lockdown because I am. I, um, I, I happen to have a lines in the poem, I say, we surf the surface of a widescreen world and find no virtue in the virtual. And I, here we all are. You know, um, the poet Wendell Berry once said, avoid screens, try to live a, a 3 dimensional life. We've been reduced temporarily to these flat screens. I wish we were roundedly together in flesh and blood. But I read this poem in spite of the fact that I'm reading it to you on a flat screen and I'm here virtually and not actually. I still boldly say, fully conscious of the irony, that we need a deeper root than this. And we mustn't forget what that root is. So here's my poem, Eradics. All of us sprung from one deep hidden seed, rose from a root invisible to all, We knew the virtues once of every weed, but severed from the roots of ritual, we surf the surface of a wide screen world and find no virtue in the virtual. We shrivel on the edges of a wood whose heart we once inhabited in love. Now we have need of you, forgotten root. The stock and stem of every living thing, whom once we worshiped in the sacred grove. For now is winter. Now is withering. Unless we let you root us deep within, under the ground of being. graft us in. I feel that all the more strongly in this particularly dark um, and wintry Advent and now is winter, now is withering uh, unless we let you root us deep within. We've been cut off from so many exterior things. If we think of ourselves for a moment as trees, it's almost as though half of our limbs have been lopped off because we can't spread them out to connect with our friends and neighbours. And some of us who have been are deeply shielding have been literally stuck indoors. We're not even getting the sunlight that, that, um, that would convert things in, in our leaves. All we've got left is our roots. But a deeply rooted plant can actually survive a bad winter, you know, and hunker down deep, deep in the soil, deep underground. And our roots are in God himself. Our roots are in Christ. I was thinking when I wrote this poem of the great um, prayer of Paul in Ephesians, that you being rooted and grounded in love might have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and know the love of God. And maybe we can in this Advent, particularly if all the, the kind of lovely branches of our extended families cannot be gathered together under our roof, we can be rooted. And know that they too are rooted in the same rooting and grounding love that, that we are. Now, after uh, the eradics, uh, there comes a pair of um, antiphons, O Clavis, O Key, and O Oriens, O Light, o Morning Star, or Day Spring, which both have an image which could almost have been prayed and written for this time that we're living through. They both have the image of those who are in the prison house or in darkness, finally being let out, finally being let free. We've had little little tastes of it, and then it's been taken away from us again. And But it is going to come, that opening is going to come for us as a society and for our world. But it also needs to come to us spiritually, and we need to let God do it. The uh, Antiphon, let me read you the Antiphon, O Clavis. Um, I'll read it to you in English, but I'm going to riff a little bit on the Latin because it's so wonderful. So the in English it goes like this, O key of David and scepter of the house of Israel, you open and no one can shut. You shut and no one can open. Come and lead the prisoners from the prison house. Those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. It's beautiful. Lead is a beautiful word there. Let me, if I may, um, just give you, also because it sounds lovely, um, just give you how that was actually written in its original form in Latin. Um, It says, veni et educ vinctum de domo carceris." So educ there is, it means to draw gently out. It doesn't mean seize and yank and force. It doesn't mean, you know, hoist somebody out of the little closed room of of their, their dark feelings and say, come on, cheer up, off we go. It doesn't mean that at all. It means gently find the smallest openings and lead gently. And the other phrase which in english is those who dwell in darkness it's not dwell isn't quite a good enough translation in my view the actual phrase in latin is sedentem in tenebris it sounds wonderful sedentem but sedentem is where we get the word sedentary from and um i actually think certainly this is the way I've interpreted this poem, that this poem is about, among other things, what it is to be suffering from serious depression. The kind of depression from which I myself have suffered where you literally cannot get up. You can't, you just lie there huddled. You just can't get out of bed. You know, you don't want to draw the curtains. And it's no good somebody bustling around and say, rise and shine and wakey, you, wakey. You. you just, you're so deep down in this lost prison house that you can't even imagine the door, let alone find it sedentum and we are in particular danger those of us who might be prone to seasonal depression of being too much in sedentum and sedentary but here is a poem i think that calls for the gentle leading out and if we can become a little less sedentary if we can just make ourselves do that morning walk there's something going on there so that's one thing i when i surprised myself when i wrote this to realize how personal this was for me but also um i love the idea of christ as the key GK Chesterton has a wonderful thing about the creed where he says it's a complex thing, but that's what you want, a complex thing that fits your particular complex lock. I love the idea that Christ is... My mother once took me to see when I was a little boy, she had to go to a locksmith and get some keys cut and I was hugely excited by it because suddenly there was this wonderful big noise and this whirling unpredictable fantail of sparks and a screaming sound as the metal on metal was cut and uh, very exciting for little boys to see a key cut. But now I think about Christ, cut to the quick. I can think about Christ suffers so that his suffering becomes the key that unlocks mine. Here's the poem, O Clavis. Even in the darkness, Where I sit and huddle in the midst of misery, I can remember freedom, but forget that every lock must answer to a key, that each dark clasp, sharp and intricate, must find a counter clasp to meet its guard, particular, exact and intimate, the clutch and catch that meshes with its ward. I cry out for the key I threw away that turned and overturned with certain touch and with the lovely lifting of a latch opened my darkness to the light of day. Oh, come again. Come quickly. Set me free. Cut to the quick to fit the master key. So Christ as my key. And I think the next part, the next um, Antiphon, Oriens, one of the most famous ones follows on from this now that the door has been unlocked and it, the latch has been lifted I'm going to see a bit of light and uh, this poem uh, i read I'll read you there is the antiphon O day spring splendor of light eternal and sun of righteousness come and enlighten those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death and again it's said enter in ten this poem has a particular uh, Again, it's it's almost autobiographical. I had been suffering a period of depression, and I went partly to recover to spend a little time on a little boat on a river in, in the east of England on the river Orwell. And I was on deck once when I witnessed the sunrise and I saw the path of the light on the water. And somehow that sunrise was also a moment of lifting for me. I allude to that. Oh, Oriens. First light, and then first lines along the east to touch and brush a sheen of light on water as though behind the sky itself they trace the shift and shimmer of another river flowing unbidden from its hidden source the day spring the eternal primavera blake saw it too dante and beatrice are bathing in it now away upstream so every trace of light begins a grace in me a beckoning the smallest gleam is somehow a beginning and a calling sleeper awake the darkness was a dream for you will see the day spring at your waking beyond your long last line the dawn is breaking those two poems, uh, those two antiphons, the 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 uh, the key and the light, are, as it were, the kind of hinge at the heart of of the the O antiphons. And now, as we come on our journey through the O antiphons towards the last two, we're beginning to see uh, who it is that is coming even more clearly. And so, the next um, antiphon dares at last to speak of the coming of Christ as king, O rex, gentium, O king of the nations. But what kind of king is this? This isn't, uh, you know, as the hymn says, no monarch he throned in easy state to lie. It's a very different understanding of what kingship is. Here is what the ancient prayer, the antiphon, says. O king of their nation, of the nations and their desire, the cornerstone, making both one. Come and save the human race which you fashioned from clay. Amazing. This king is the one who fashioned us from clay. <laughs> and of course, by calling him the cornerstone, the author of that prayer expects us to remember that the cornerstone is literally also the scandalon, the stone of scandaling that is that's the cornerstone whom many rejected. And it's that paradox of the king who has been rejected, and in his loving response. To that rejection makes the claim of his kingship even more deeply because he becomes the king of all that is despised and rejected in us and redeems that too just that very shadow of which mark oakley spoke so here's my take on o rex gentian o king of our desire whom we despise king of the nations never on the throne unfound foundation cast off cornerstone rejected joiner making many one. You have no form or beauty for our eyes, a king who comes to give away his crown, a king within our rags of flesh and blown, we pierce the flesh that pierces our disguise, for we ourselves are found in you alone. Come to us now and find in us your throne, O king within the child, within the clay, O hidden king, who shapes us in the playable creation, shape us for the day your coming kingdom comes into its own. And then. At last, if you'd been singing these antiphons in a monastery in the the ninth century, you would have come to the last of the big illuminated letters, your great O's, and there would be great O Emmanuel. And you would sing this on Christmas Eve because he was coming. He's finally what I've called a long-sought witness for a world without. And uh, I'm going to read you the antiphon and then just read you the poem and end with that without comment and make it uh, my prayer for this Advent. And I hope uh, your prayer too. O Emmanuel, our King and our lawgiver, the hope of the nations and their saviour. Come and save us, O Lord our God. O Emmanuel. O come, O come, and be our God with us. O long sought withness for a world without. O secret seed, O hidden spring of light, come to us, wisdom. Come, unspoken name. Come, root and key and king and holy flame. O quickened little wick so tightly curled, be folded with us into time and place. Unfold for us the mystery of grace and make a womb of all this wounded world. O heart of heaven beating in the earth. O tiny hope within our hopelessness, come to be born to bear us to our birth, to touch a dying world with new made hands and make these rags of time our swaddling bands. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times Podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.